Hello, and welcome to Pop Culture Hangfire with Christian and Gabriel. The podcast where I try to catch my friend Gabriel up on everything I think he missed in the formative years while he was being homeschooled and sheltered from the outside world. The year, 1994. The most famous person in the world was probably Nelson Mandela. O.J. Simpson was arraigned for the murders of Nicole Simpson and Ronald Goldman. Tanya Harding wins the National Figure Skating Championship title, but is stripped of her title following an attack on her rival Nancy Kerrigan. Popular baby names were Ashley, Emily, Jessica, Samantha, Christopher, Joshua, Michael, and Matthew. Gabe, did you know any of those people when you were seven years old in 1994? I mean, I think I, I think I did at seven. I certainly have by this point in my life. I've run into literally all of those people. I, I had to know at least a handful of them. Even religious types are, are susceptible to the name craze. So you meet those people at church. Every so often, the Michael, Michael and Matthew are both uh, biblical, right? Good biblical. Mm-hmm. Joshua and Christopher? Also. But there's definitely no Ashley in the Bible, right? Not, no, I can't remember one. Maybe in one of those newfangled Bibles, you know, where they translate things differently. Maybe they threw it and they threw an Ashley in. Maybe. Maybe a Jessica, too. Huh? <laughs> or, or, or maybe that's just sex in the city and I'm getting them confused. Ah, yes, there was. A, yes. <laughs> well, I mean, if you think about, oh, that's interesting, 94. A couple years later, Jessica Simpson and Ashley Simpson. Huh? Huh? 94, also still at the height of popularity for Michael Jackson, Michael Jordan. That makes sense. Everybody was trying to create the next sensation. Maybe. Maybe. It's all in the name. So last week, we talked about a TV show called In Living Color that finished in 1994. Do you recall, Gabe? Yes. Do you recall one of the standout stars of that show that we talked about? Their breakout performance. Jim Carrey. Well, let me tell you, Jim Carrey had quite a year in 1994. Ace Ventura, starring Jim Carrey, comes out, where he plays an animal detective. Screenplay written by, co-written by him, Jim Carrey, stars himself and Courtney Cox. Tone Loke, uh, with a fabulous, fabulous voice. And the then Miami Dolphins quarterback, Dan Marino. Budget of $15 million, worldwide total of $107 million. Started a franchise spawning the sequel, Ace Ventura, When Nature Calls. And I don't know if you ever watched the animated television series, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective? That one I didn't see. I've seen the movies. Five years of that one. And a made-for-television sequel, Ace Ventura Jr., Pet Detective, in 2009. I got to tell you, detective down. I saw this movie and I still think it's hilarious. It is a really funny movie. Very funny. Thoughts? No, it, it, it is still funny. Uh, and the opening I was I was fond of. And, and again, it's one of those things that in an older movie, right? Like you didn't have the CGI. So you had to get actual animal trainers with animals when he's in his apartment. 
That's and you know, true. they all hide and you do stuff and like yeah they were clever about how they like overlaid some of it like you didn't necessarily have them all in the same room at the same time or as reddit would or as reddit would say it's in reverse stuff like that but you didn't uh but you couldn't just say like the hell with it it's cheaper to animate all these things definitely that's a good actually point actually so. and and that calls back to all those uh late night tv shows right where like jack hanna and like people would come in with their animals that was like a thing that was very like uh, common back in those days right johnny carson and everybody having their 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 animal guy yep the animal guy yeah no i i, I thought it was a fantastic movie it's very funny uh, it was a again it was a really great it was a really good movie for jim carrey to be to be showing off his skills to showcase his skills considering that same year the mask also comes out this mother effer has Ace Ventura come out in February, and The Mask comes out in July. Okay? So The Mask, for those of you who don't know, and I think yet another conversation we had about The Crow last week, um, The Mask is based on a comic ba uh, published by Dark Horse Comics. And I think like we talked about before, right, It comic book movies in the 90s were not advertised or like sell, sold as a comic book movie. Like nobody thinks of The Mask and thinks, oh, it was based on a comic book. Right. Um, the first installment of the Mask franchise uh, starring Jim Carrey and in her debut, Cameron Diaz, the film grossed $351 million on a $23 million budget. Okay. Making it the second most profitable film based on a comic book at that point behind Superman in 1978. Okay, the film was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Visual Effects, but it lost to Forrest Gump. There, wow. wa there was a sequel to The Mask, Son of the Mask, that was released in 2005 to critical and box office failure. I believe Jamie Kennedy was the son of The Mask, if I recall. I think I remember he he just hearing of that, but there's not a lot in just that now it was bad. Can you believe, though, this guy, Ace Ventura? The first six months of the year were owned by Jim Carrey, I have to say, right? Yeah. I mean, and, and here's a tidbit that I, I we're not going to talk about this movie, but because it, it's not a movie I liked, and I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure plenty of people would disagree with me. Dumb and Dumber also comes out in 1994, by the way, in December. So this mother effer held the spring and the summer, gave the fall to somebody else, and then brought it back for the, for Christmas. But yeah, no, the mask. I remember watching the mask and was like, it's it's an exceptional movie. Like the acting is over the top, but just enough, you know, where it is comic booky, it is like cartoony, but it's meant to be that way. And and his performance of it just nails it to perfection like it is it, it was such a good film so funny it's been a very long time since i've seen and i can't i don't even know if i could say i've seen it in its entirety from what i what i remember really yeah i'll have to i'll have to do a rewatch for that one for sure with with grown-up eyes that's true i haven't seen that in the last 10 15 years i will say that but I have seen Ace Ventura in the last 15 years, in the last 10 years. Yes, I also have. <laughs> but yeah, but no, The Mask, I remember it being very good. That I had in VHS, and that definitely got watched quite a few times. Next movie we'll talk about for 1994 
Did you ever watch Stargate? I've seen the odd episode of the show mm-hmm. on television, but I've never seen any of the movie that I know of. Oh, really? It was the first movie in the Stargate media franchise, as as you clearly uh, stated. There's been, I think, two Stargate TV shows and an animated show, I believe. I think so. So the movie starred Kurt Russell and James Spader. $55 million budget made $196 million worldwide. And basically, it was about a wormhole that gets created and uh, this team of explorers are able to travel through it and they get set back almost in time but in the future um and it's uh it's almost like a future egypt if i recall because pharaohs and things like that yeah um doesn't it tie into like pyramids and stuff yes yes that's the idea yes um it was a good movie it really was i've seen it um i think i saw it more than once now i haven't seen it in probably 15 years or more but i recall it being good it Kurt Russell, I mean, you know, and J- and James Spader, honestly, uh, he's a he was a great actor in the '80s, good actor in the '90s. He's really good in the show The Blacklist, and phenomenal. He had a two arc story in The Office when they were hiring a replacement for Michael, where he was considered. He is such a good actor. My God, he's such a good actor. But yeah, Stargate, nineteen ninety four. I would say this is a movie that that's worth watching, but it's not a movie I would say you got to write it down. It's, it's mm. yeah, it's good, it's entertaining, but I, I would not say this is a must see. This is not part of the list, your long ongoing list of movies. Apparently, you got time to rewatch Demolition Man, but you don't have time to watch a Shawshank Redemption. I mean, who's gonna criticize me for rewatching Demolition Man? Not a damn person should. Even I was praising you for watching it, not at the time, yeah. not realizing he still hasn't seen Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, the tone's slightly different in those two movies, too. I mean, there's prison. <laughs> I mean, Ice Cubing St- Sylvester Stallone is a, is a little bit more humorous, probably. <laughs> than uh, Andy Dufresne? Uh, yeah, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> so, popular TV shows of 1994, Seinfeld, ER, Home Improvement, Grace Under Fire, Monday Night Football. TV shows that ended in 1994, I had forgotten these shows existed, and I was very happy to see that they were back. So this <laughs> this one I really had forgotten, but I remember watching it. <laughs> oh, okay, does the title of a show called Thunder in Paradise ring a bell? No. All right. From the creators of Baywatch, starring Hulk Hogan, Thunder in Paradise follows the adventures of two ex-United States Navy SEALs, Randolph J. Hurricane Spencer and Martin Brubacker, who work as mercenaries out of their tropical resort headquarters along Florida's Gulf Coast. Using their futuristic high-tech boat nicknamed Thunder, they travel around the world fighting various criminals and villains. Spectacular. It was, Gabe. It ran for a whole one season. <laughs> yeah, no, it was uh, It was basically that. It was Baywatch on a boat with uh, Hulk Hogan. Uh, I Again, I had forgotten this show existed, but I remember I watched quite a few episodes. 
quite a wonder, few. I wonder how many retired Navy SEALs feel like they need to start up a, a mercenary business just to compete with their fictional counterparts. Well, remember, I mean, they, they you got to start the tropical resort first to be able to use that as your headquarters to be able to fund your mercenary. Takes or, time, or wait, wait, does your mercenary work fund your tropical resort? Oh, yeah. Which one's the cash flow business? And how do you launder it? Through a resort that you technically don't have anything to do with because you're too busy being a mercenary on your futuristic high-tech boat named Thunder. You're too busy getting called Hurricane and riding around in Thunder. (laughs) Also, why didn't they call that show Hurricane and Thunder or Thunder and Hurricane? Or just, you know, Florida Man, (laughs) United States Navy. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Yeah, that was the show, man. And uh, somebody, some executive said yes to this. Some executive said yes to that. Then we have uh, this show again. I forgot about. Ran for two seasons. Uh, animated show called Exo Squad. Does that ring a bell at all? So this was an interesting show because as a kid, I thought it was cool. As an adult, I was like, oh, these guys were actually not talking about what I thought they were talking about. Oh, no. So the show is set in the beginning of the 22nd century and covers an interplanetary war between humanity and Neo-Sapiens, right? Neo-Sapiens were a a fictional race that was artificially created as workers slash slaves for humans to terraform different planets, right? And, um, And it starts... Basically, and this is and, and this is why I say like it, it was a lot deeper than it, than it shows. The mistreatment from the Terrans to the Neo Sapiens created a revolt. So the show starts fifty years, uh, fifty years after the revolt that happened, right? So in this world, fifty years later. So imagine the Civil War, fifty years later. There's still some some animosity between the slaves and the and the slave owners. Yeah, just 50 years, man, and it got solved. Imagine that. But basically, that's what the show was. These Neo-Sapiens had started up revolting and fighting humans, almost like challenging their territory because they were like, you know, we're not slaves. We're we're we we are sentient beings now. Like you can't just create us. And make us be, and again, as a kid, I was like, oh, bad guys, good guys, exoset, it was called exosquad because they were in these exoskeleton suits. Very cool, like, you know, fighting, they would go into space and fly. It was very much, you know, like Starship Troopers style. So as a kid, I remember watching it thinking, oh man, what a cool show. But then like, you know, you revisit and you're like, oh, this show is about a slave revolt against humans. And the and the humans using the military, the exo squads, to fight their f- battles for them, even though they might not necessarily agree with with uh, some of these rebels. You know, uh, it was it was a very interesting concept. It really That's, was uh, surprising that such an obvious allegory made it through. I mean, yeah, maybe that's why it only made it two seasons because I think the third. I think in the second season, it ended with them squashing the revolt and then like uh, they, like an alien race was introduced. And I think that was the plan for season three. But uh, yeah, isn't that, uh, interesting. Very interesting. I remember that show. And I remember watching it and loving it. The toys, I never got any, obviously. But 
The toys look cool because, again, exoskeleton suits and the little guys would go in there and you could shoot the little missiles and stuff at all these, at these Neo-Sapiens bastards. Little did I know they were just fighting for their freedom, fighting to have the rights of any other living being, Gabe. And here I was cheering. I was being manipulated to cheer, Gabe. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Yeah. Again, you know, it's television indoctrinating children is all I'm saying. Shows that started in uh, 1994. This one I, I forgot about also, but thank God for uh, thank God for the internet and thank God for this podcast. RoboCop the series. There was a TV show, a live action TV show. I mean, there was also a cartoon, but there was a live action TV show uh, based on the RoboCop franchise. So none of the actors came back, obviously, and the television series ignored. The events of the sequels and changed a lot of character names. Uh, you know, so it was hardly connected. And you had you had Robocop. I think that was the only thing that they kept. <laughs> Look. And obviously, because it was network television, there was a lot of the lethal stuff that Robocop was responsible for in the movies did not necessarily make it to the TV show, which had a lot of alternative, non-lethal ways of Robocop you know, uh, arresting the bad guy, but it also ensured for certain villains to come back, you know? Again, the TV show lasted a, a whole one season because of Oof. how good it was. Were you That's ever coming back? Were you ever a fan of uh, of the Robocop movies? Uh the movies, yes. Uh obviously it took me a while to see those. Did not see them very early because of some of the obvious, you know, his origin. <laughs> What he was a police officer. Your mom didn't like yep, cops. Yep. What's wrong with your mom? No, just uh, just she, she hated authority. She had a bad feeling. <laughs> she was a rebel. Um, so I mean, it's funny going back to the funniest thing going back is like having watched a lot of uh, my uh, that '70s show mm -hmm. and and Red's the bad guy. Oh right. <laughs> he he really did put his foot up to a bunch of people's asses. He did. He did. No wonder. <laughs> He's toned it down a lot later in life, but uh, yeah, no the uh, the movies I I was a fan of. I was sorry to see the reboot didn't do that well. It seems. You know what the funny thing is the reboot. So I did watch it. I did watch it. It had some really good things in it. It had some exceptional things in it. They do a really great scene where they do a reveal of his body. It's something that they never did in the RoboCop movie, right? In the RoboCop movie, you're like, oh, he's got a, a metal body, right? Yeah, that's that's it. He he um he does that. There's a scene in the new RoboCop where the the guy is like, show me, show me what is left of me. And they strip, you know, Iron Man style. They strip the parts, and it's 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 like you're like, oh wow, this is real. Like this is. Because you almost want to yeah, say, they leverage I technology. Yeah, like you almost want to put yourself in his shoes and be like, I kind of would want to know what is. And and it was like it was a brain, eyeballs, lungs, and you know, like a heart, I think. And and yeah, it's just, and you're just like, oh, and his one hand. Oh, that's he right. Yeah, so he could do the. Yeah. Seems um, like a design flaw. And uh, and yeah, and I was like, oh wow. And, you know, special effects and, you know, the way movies are made now, they definitely overdid it. But um, but uh, I, I did enjoy the new one. 
I I I saw it twice, maybe. I think I've seen it twice. Yeah. Again, they go overboard with like you know the the special effects and like the the action sequences, but for the most part, like the look of him actually looked pretty good. It looked like a modern you know RoboCop. Uh, another TV show that started in the in 1994, which I was a huge fan of, The Tick. Did you ever watch the animated uh, superhero TV show, The Tick? I have not seen that. No. It is it is one of those TV shows, cartoons that was very well done, stuck to the comic, great voice acting. Uh, it ran for three years uh, on Fox, if I remember. It was one of the, like the Fox network uh block i think i remember seeing ads for it but yeah that one was very good i think it was the first time where i saw a comic book where they weren't taking it serious because some of his some of his peers were like you could tell they were like this is not batman this is but i know who you're trying to be and they were playing into it you know the bad guys were very much like dick tracy style bad guys you know where like their names were like Chairface or chairhead you know like it was like okay this is this is what very this on is. the nose yes very much i think that might have been a bad guy on the nose um but yeah i remember watching the, the cartoon and i thought that was a very funny uh enjoyable entertaining show and then when they did the live action show with with patrick warburton watch the hell out of that and even when they and amazon brought it back i think uh, a couple years ago even that I watched uh, the first season of, and I was like, "Oh wow, it's it's they're sticking to that, you know, that theme of like kind of making fun, satirical, you know, like superhero." It was good stuff. Speaking of cartoons, I don't know if you know this one. I used to love watching this, The Critic. You remember? Do you recall a cartoon show called The Critic at all? Mm-mm. So. It was voiced, the main character was voiced by Jay, John Lovitz. And the show was about a New York film critic who had a television show called uh, Coming Attractions. And uh, he would review movies and they had to make, you know, like parodies and references to real movies because they had to show clips. And when he wasn't doing his show, he was living his normal life, which... Again, it was full of like references to movies and and parodies of movies, but I remember, you know, John Lovitz has a very distinct voice, you know, so his character was very angry and and mean and and everything like that, and he always, always rated the movies or when you know or, or he reviewed him, and it was always hey, it stinks, like that was his that was his catchphrase. <laughs> Maybe that would have been a good sound clip to have. It stinks. That was that was his catchphrase in the movie, like in the show, whenever he reviewed movies. All right. So moving on to people who died in 1994. Now, for our listeners, these first two people that I'm going to mention, uh, there's some graphic material that I'm going to describe. So if you are, um, what's the word I'm looking for? What's the phrase I'm looking for? If you're um, sensitive, sensitive, what's the other one about like, you know, if if you have a delicate stomach. If you have a delicate stomach, you might want to uh, maybe lower the volume or be ready to skip. An individual who died in 1994 was Jeffrey Dahmer. Oh. Yeah. Also known as the Milwaukee Cannibal or the Milwaukee Monster. But why would they call him those things? <laughs> well, Gabe, that's a very good question. He was actually a serial killer and a sex offender 
who committed the murder and dismemberment of 17 men and boys between 1978 and 1991. Many of his later murders involved necrophilia, cannibalism, and, for some strange reason, the permanent preservation of body parts, typically all of the skeleton. He was sentenced to prison 15 terms of life imprisonment in 1992. That's when they caught him, by the way. He died because a fellow inmate beat him to death. Kind of had it coming. Kind of had it coming. Like, I don't be that guy, but like, do you want to be locked up with the guy that was the necrophilia cannibal? I don't think that wins you a lot of friends in close confinement. Not just that, but I think it was also like uh, uh, Christopher Scarver was the name of the inmate who did it. He was in prison for murder also, but his was not, you know. Just, Not just the regular, the regular red-blooded murder. American murder. <laughs> but he was also a black guy, and I think some of the um, uh, Jeffrey Dahmer victims were also, yeah. So th- it was a little bit of a combination of of those things. Uh, yeah, he died in 1994. Well, all right then. Oh, it gets better, Gabe. Don't you worry. Uh, John Wayne Gacy also died in 1994. <laughs> what a year. What a year year to be alive, if you know what I'm saying. A serial killer and pederast who raped, tortured, and murdered at least 33 young men and boys. Again, if you are sensitive to this material, you might want to skip now. Gacy uh, Gacy regularly killed him. (laughs) Incarceration. Wise. Gacy regularly performed at children's hospitals and charitable events as Pogo the Clown or Patches the Clown. Personas he had uh, had devised. He became known as the Killer Clown due to his public services as a clown prior to the discovery of his crimes and basically how he would get a lot of the people he was uh, trying to murder and rape. He was sentenced to death in 1980. Uh, He was on death row for 14 years, where he spent much of his time painting, apparently. In 1994, he was executed by lethal injection. Okay. So he was was spared the uh, beating to death. He was. And I mean... He had to be kept separate from people for that to happen. I can only imagine that they might have... Although I was going to say, the fact that he was in prison longer... Then Dahmer, right? And I guess because they're like, well, nothing's happened to Gacy. I guess we can put Dahmer with other people. Turns out you can't. All right, now back to our regular deaths. Uh, and not at all weird ones. All right, does the name Telly Savalas ring a bell? No. I'm surprised by this, Gabe. Very surprised. American actor, also a singer. Uh, he had a one song on the radio. Anyway, uh, but his career spanned about four decades. Noted for his bald head and deep resonant voice. Almost like deep resonant voice. Who loves you, baby? Uh, that was actually his catchphrase as Kojak, one of his best known um, characters. A series that he did for about five years. He was also the Bond villain in the movie On Her Majesty's Circuit Service. But, Gabe... You might know him from such classics as Birdman of Alcatraz. Yep. And uh, I believe he got a Academy Award for that one. 
The Greatest Story Ever Told, Battle of the Bulge, The Dirty Dozen, Kelly's Heroes. Yeah, he was the bald guy in all those movies, Gabe. All right, all right. Died one day after his 72nd birthday, uh, complications of cancer of the bladder. I I was a fan of of most of those movies. Dirty Dozen, uh, Battle of the Bulge, Kelly's Heroes. I mean, Eastwood, uh, Don Rickles, you know, like those were cast films. And those were awesome, like 70s, um, late 60s, early 70s war movies, you know, right around The Great Escape and stuff like that. Uh, So I was a fan of those movies. And in Kojak, he played this just super cool detective, man. In the beginning, I remember he used to smoke, and then I, he eventually quit smoking, and he, he would, like, just have a lollipop <laughs> because he still needed to. <laughs> but Telly Savalas was so cool, so cool. And Kojak was such a cool uh, character and, and such a great TV show. I thought, like, uh, the name didn't sound familiar, but I'm sure you know who he is now, right? Oh, yeah, no, I've seen him in, uh, in, in I, uh, I think, all of those other movies. I figured. The next name you might also know, George Pepard. Yep. Yep, American actor. Now, he's he's remembered in two separate generations for two separate big things, right? The older generation, the greatest generation, as they call them, uh, will remember him as the love interest in Breakfast at Tiffany's. The younger generation, and when I say younger people in their late 30s, and 40s will remember him as Lieutenant Colonel John Hannibal Smith in the 1980s television series The A-Team. I was such a fan of The A-Team. My God, when I was a kid, I was like, this is the greatest show ever. As an adult, I'm like, my God, they were terrible shots. How did they ever get in the army? <laughs> they fired so many... The era everyone was terrible shots. My God, they fired so many, so many rounds Everything and never fully automatic. Man, he had a, he had like a didn't he have a chromed out like AK that he used that was his like go to weapon. There was a there was some very like odd looking guns in there, and I wasn't as familiar when I when I watched the TV show. I want to say so. I don't. He did have a, a an oddly shiny. I remember he had an AK that was. And I like... didn't know. I always wondered what it was. I thought it was an AK. Have the classic look. I thought it was an AK. But that was such a great show. He was so good in it. Uh, you know, Mr. T, uh, you know, Murdoch, Face. I mean, just ah, such a fantastic show. But yes, he passed away at the age of 65. He actually was an alcoholic, and he overcame that problem in the late 70s. For the rest of his life, though, unfortunately, he smoked three packs of cigarettes a day. Three a day. What is that? Sixty cigarettes. If you're if you're awake for sixteen hours out of your day, what is that? Three cigarettes an hour. You gotta be. You gotta be. You gotta be. It's a serious. It's a serious <sighs> investment of your time at that point. I mean, Jesus. But it was, I guess, the eighties and the seventies where you could smoke anywhere, right? On a plane, in a restaurant. I was watching something recently that that pointed out like how crazy that some of the change. I think it was uh, talking about the changes um, in like since the nineties, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, he was talking about. And I remember this too as a kid, like the whole smoking or non-smoking in a restaurant. I remember that that's, too. That's just that's been completely eliminated, thankfully, because like, <laughs> yeah, let's just put you in this section over here because the air doesn't mix at all for sure. It doesn't. But remember, this was also like. 
me realizing a couple episodes ago that I was like, that's why they weren't carding me. Because <laughs> the law wasn't in place yet. <laughs> yep, yep. But yeah, no. So he, uh, he unfortunately, um, in 92, he had had part of his uh, lung removed because of the lung cancer from, you know, all of all that. All of those cigarettes. Um, so he did quit smoking after the lung cancer, but unfortunately he was still battling it in 94 and, and he passed away from pneumonia at the age of 65. He looked old in the 18, by the way. I didn't realize he, yeah, yeah. He was actually an old guy. Interesting. Maybe that's why he couldn't shoot straight. Maybe just that, uh, was it the, the, the coffers, uh, the, the smokers cough. All right, Gabe. So, uh, I did save. I did I, again. Like it was such an episode that I I completely forgot. Like I want to do sound clips because I was like I'm so excited to talk about these things, but I did I did pull two sound clips for music from 1994. Okay, does this song sound familiar? This song, when it came out, poof, every radio station, man, this was the jam of 1994. Does it sound familiar at all? The That intro vaguely does, yeah. Yeah. I, I have no idea who Ini Kamozi is, but uh, this... Knocked one right out of the park. I mean, he could probably live off of this for the rest of his life. The second song... That was, I remember this, and I, I hope you remember it just because it's a ludicrous, you know what, let me not say anything else. And no, it's not ludicrous for the record. The butterfly, uh-uh, that's all, let me see the tubes and roll. Also, can I, can I say that I miss the days when rappers would be like, you know, 1992, 1994, 9-9 with a bullet, you know, that type of stuff. Sorry. Gonna... They would actually just let you know the year right out the gate. Right out the gate. Giving you instructions on how to do the Tootsie Roll dance, Gabe. That's also Yeah, I mean, you know, that's something we don't do anymore. Also, for any of our Canadian listeners, um, he is wearing a Canadiens <laughs> jersey in 1994. So if we have any any Canadians, any Habs fans out there, if you can give us some 
uh, information about what was happening in 94 for this uh, gentleman from the 69 Boys to be rocking this in his music video for the Tootsie Roll. We'd really appreciate it. Because I'm a fan of Habs, but current Habs. No idea what was happening with the Habs in 94. Just put it, you know, putting it out there. So does that song ring a bell, sound familiar, was a thing for it you? It does. Uh, I don't think at, at the uh, in 94 necessarily, but I, I definitely have heard that song. You can't can't get away from it. No. Nope. Um, here's an interesting uh, tech slash toy. I it falls under product. Let me say product. Let me not say tech or toy, but it falls under product. And this is this one I wanted to bring up because I used the hell out of this in the late '90s because it worked. It's one of the few I've seen on TV products that really worked, in my opinion. Although OxyClean I hear actually works. But anyway, the George Foreman grill comes out in 1994. Did you ever in your life or your mother own a... We owned a George Foreman. Right? That fucking thing worked, dude. You would put a a chicken breast and it cooked it. And it it collected the fat. The competition. It most certainly did. But yeah, I, I remember having this in the late late 90s. I remember having it. And into the early 2000s, because they started with a little one where you could just fit like, you know, like two pieces of chicken breast, right? And they eventually turned it into a full... Oh, that was me hitting the mic. They eventually turned it into a... We had the full. Yeah, they eventually... Where you could do like all the different Four ones. Burgers. It It really worked. It really worked. It did, it did exactly as advertised. The George Foreman grill was was exceptional i mean did you see when they got them to where they had the removable grill plates no why were they removable we had the we had the old model why were they removable huh why were they removable to clean them but they were so easy to clean yeah yeah but like they made it so like look you could just take it right over to the sink so you didn't have to like put the machine near the sink to you can oh. literally just pop, pop, get it off, take it right to the sink. Oh, I never did yeah. that. I, I would just wait for it to cool a little bit. And then I would just, you know, like sponge uh, it off, sponge yeah. it off. But, you know, like, but also like, you know, a sponge with like dishwashing detergent. And stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, OK. Yeah, no, no. They, went th- they went all the way, though. That thing, that thing was real and it worked. And my God, I, I had many, many, many meals from the George Foreman Grill. Just gonna say that. That's why I wanted to bring it up. I'm like, no, this thing was. I have two. This thing was a real deal. Um, with the time we have left, we'll do a little bit of celebrity gossip. Uh, American King of Pop Michael Jackson weds King of Rock and Roll Elvis Presley's daughter Lisa Marie Presley in La Ramona Dominican Republic. This is around the time when I think PR on Mike was not great based on his uh, accusations. And they're like, no, 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 he's totally straight. He's married to uh, Lisa Marie Presley. That was the thing that he did. And they even did like a video where they're both, where he's shirtless and he's singing to her like a man does, you know? Yeah, men always take off their shirts when they <laughs> sing to women. Always. It's a requirement. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that was a thing in 1994. Did not, was not aware. Yeah. Lisa Marie Presley has had some questionable husbands. I'm going to put that out there. It's almost like she's being used for something. Uh... Uh, she was married to Nick Cage, and he was a huge Elvis fan. Just gonna. I mean, you do what you can, right? You do what you can. All right, Gabe, this closes 1994. For those of you keeping track, I think we've only got like two years to cover left. 
I think in the next uh, couple weeks, Dave, Gabe and I have to discuss what season two is going to be. And I'm thinking we're going back to the future. <laughs> uh, no, we'll figure that out at the, when the time comes. But Gabe, last thoughts on 1994, sir. I mean, this feels like possibly the most complete wild ride through. Like there, the, every episode has had something major in it in the movie category and then some some surprises in the other categories as well like i didn't realize quite how busy this year was for everything yeah they definitely had a little bit of everything i agree i agree yeah no it, it, you know i i um as much as i think i know about pop culture already i am consistently surprised as i prep these episodes at how much i actually missed even having lived through it because there was so much of it uh, I'm having so much fun with the research and doing everything like this. Again, thank you all for listening. Remember to find us at Pop Culture Hangfire on Instagram. People, somebody said that we're supposed to tell people to like rate us and like us and leave comments or something on the um... oh, on the actual podcast. Yeah, something like that it does Spe help. Speaking of comments, actually, and I know we're supposed to be done, but uh, one of our listeners did bring up the fact that even though we spoke about uh, Leon the Professional in episode one, he was like, coming. yeah, he was like, hey, look, not to be that guy, but, you know. But here I go. But there was a little bit. So Leon the Professional is a story of this 12-year-old girl and this grown, you know, person and how, like, they have a, a relationship. And it's, you know, like, she she's trying to be more adult than she is. And he's, like, you know, pushing her back. But... It was actually based on Luc Besson's own personal life. Like he met this like 12, 13 year old girl. And like when she was like 15 or 16, he got her pregnant and married her. And he was in his 30s. And like when she was 20, she he left her for Mila from um, The Fifth Element when she was 20. So a little problematic. Okay, Problematic for sure. Yeah. Just going to put it out there. We appreciate the movie. Uh Luke Besson was, you know, he is out of his mind in that case. Just, you know, just weird. Yeah. With that, again, thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. <laughs>